Let us pray. Fathers, begin this holy season of Lent. Draw us to yourself. God, help us in ever greater measure to set apart the things of this world and the things of the flesh that our affections may be more fully set on you and your kingdom. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, please be seated. So as you're well aware now, it is the first Sunday in Lent. This season of 40 days leading up to Easter, which we began this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. When I say Lent, what comes to your mind? Is it simply about self-denial or the more rigorous, the better? Or is it somehow about jumping through hoops to score points with God, if you will? Or to somehow force God's hand into doing something we want him to do for us? None of these things is what a true God-honoring observance of Lent is about. Not at all. What I want to do this morning is to look at our reading from St. Mark's Gospel, specifically two verses, verses 12 and 13, which describe the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And then I would like to conclude by drawing some principles from this scripture passage and make specific application for us during this season of Lent. So in Mark chapter 1, excuse me one second, I've got to adjust this a little bit. So in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, we read of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. This record of his 40 days in the wilderness is found in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and Luke's gospel. However, Mark's account is by far the shortest account of this, just two verses. As Deacon Julie just read, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Yet even in his brevity, Mark's account gives us some details not mentioned in the other two accounts in Matthew or Luke. And the emphasis in Mark is also a little bit different, yet complementary to the other two gospels. This event follows immediately on the heels of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And Jesus' baptism in the Jordan takes place kind of right on the edge of what was known as the wilderness, if you will. So let's take a few minutes to look at all of this in some detail. And as we do, I really have three main points this morning. The first one is this. Jesus was walking in God's will. Following Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, we read about the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, And the voice of the Father coming from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now in verse 12, we read that immediately, so immediately after that, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness. This is very, very strong wording. Much stronger than simply being led out into the wilderness. The word here is the same word that is used elsewhere to describe Jesus driving or commanding demons to come out of people. Think of the example of um, 
and all the tragedy and chaos on 9-11, I've done some reading about what was happening at the White House. And, and the vice president was at the White House that day in his office working. And all the Secret Service knew was that there were jets in the air and that there was a jet, this is before the plane in western Pennsylvania crashed, coming to, back toward Washington. And the Secret Service agents went in and said, Mr. Vice President, we need to go to the bunker underneath the White House immediately. And Vice President Cheney, because he was in the middle of something, basically paused and said, I need a couple minutes, let me finish, or something to that effect, if you read the accounts. And the Secret Service didn't lead him to the bunker by taking him by the edge of his arm. The Secret Service agents literally grabbed his belt and grabbed his collar and picked him up and shoved him to the elevator to the bunker because they knew of the urgency. And But that's the kind of difference we're talking about rather than being gently led, you know, forced and thrust to your destination. The same spirit who visibly descended on Jesus is now sending him, thrusting him out into the wilderness. And the clear implication here is that this testing that Jesus was to endure was God's will. It was part, very much part of God's plan. Jesus going out into this rather unpleasant experience, and that's to say the least, was an act of obedience on his part to the will of the Father, to the will of his Father. And it was an ordeal that would last for 40 days. Yet even after the time in the wilderness was finished, it wasn't as, it wasn't as if Jesus was never tempted to disobey the will of the Father again. So what's the point here for you and me? Well, it's this. Simply because we are walking through something which is difficult doesn't necessarily mean that we are somehow out of God's will or walking in disobedience. There are times when believers, because of faithfulness and obedience to God's will and fidelity to the gospel, endure hardship right in the center of God's will. Now, to be clear, there are other times that people experience hardship or difficulty because of their poor, sinful, ungodly choices. But we have to discern between the two. Jesus was walking in God's will when the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be tempted. Second, walking in God's will doesn't eliminate temptation. Did you hear that? Walking in God's will does not eliminate temptation. Verse 13 tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days being tempted by Satan. Unlike the other gospels, Mark gives no specifics about the nature of this temptation, but he does give us an additional detail that does not appear in the other two records of this, where he writes that he was with wild animals. Noting this fact serves to heighten the intensity of the danger of the scene and the situation Jesus was, Jesus was in for us. As one commentator observes, in the wilderness there is neither seed nor fruit, water nor growth. Man cannot live there. Only frightening and unwanted kinds of animals dwell there. So why is it that Jesus is being so intensely tempted to disobey his heavenly father? Why is he being tempted to sin? I believe it's in large part because Satan knew just how much was at stake. 
Jesus' determined obedience to God and determination to remain in the wilderness inevitably and even necessarily leads to a clash with Satan, the adversary of God. And this testing was even necessary and it was necessary to prepare and equip him more fully, to equip Jesus more fully for what was to come. The coming abandonment by his friends, the isolation, humiliation, mocking, scourging, all ending in the cross. Obedience, even to death on a cross. Why? Why? Well, to quote our New Testament reading from this morning from 1 Peter, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So if Jesus, God the Son himself, was intensely tempted because he was doing the will of God, should we expect anything less in our own lives? Brothers and sisters, if we are walking in the will of God, we will be tempted. Satan desires nothing more than to cause us to mess up and to cause us to mess up big time. Why? Because our sinning, our falling hinders the spread of the gospel and it causes not only us, but it causes other people to stumble. And Satan knows when to attack us at our most vulnerable moments. Now, now hear me. Because we're tempted doesn't mean we should run toward sin. You know, as... Um, Mother Valerie, I was talking to her yesterday and she was sharing Bishop John, she asked me what I was preaching on today and Bishop John used to use the example, you know, if you're being tempted to eat something you shouldn't be eating on a diet, you don't go open the refrigerator and stand in front of the refrigerator and say, but I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. No, you get yourself as far away from the refrigerator as you can. You get yourself as far away from the temptation as you can by God's grace and God's power. You don't run toward it but you press in, we press in more closely with God with full and wholehearted obedience. I'll come back to give some applications as we conclude today, but we must remember the temptation in itself is not an indication that we are walking outside of God's will. Rather, it may be an indication sometimes that we are very much walking in God's will. And also be careful be careful not to confuse temptation with sin. I think this is one of the ploys that Satan uses in our minds sometimes too. Oh, I'm being tempted so much. What's the difference? I might as well just step over the line and go ahead. Temptation is not sin. There's a huge difference. Sin is acting on and giving in and responding to and walking into what you're being tempted toward. Walking in God's will doesn't eliminate temptation, but in the midst of it, God equips us to resist and overcome the temptation. And that brings us to the third point. Walking in God's will, we have assurance that God will strengthen us. In the example of Jesus in Mark's gospel, God sent angels to minister to Jesus. 
And this struggle between God and Satan that was taking place was not some sort of a contest between equals. Remember that. It was not a contest between equals if somehow God and Satan were on the same level. In theology, that's what we call dualism. And that is completely wrong. That is completely erroneous. Remember, Satan is a created being. He is not divine. He is a real being who is in rebellion against his creator. So the relationship is not God and Satan. The relationship is not God and Satan. The relationship is God and Satan. God ruler over all Satan, a rebellious fallen being. But a real being. And when we are tempted, when we struggle, even when it is incredibly intense, for Christians as God's children, for you and me, brothers and sisters, God always makes his power available to us to be victorious over the temptation, just like he did for Jesus in the wilderness, just as he did for Jesus, the eternal son of God. I don't say that just out of a nice thought in my mind. This is what God's word tells us. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 13, no temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. James chapter four, verse six. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God will with the temptation provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an appropriate focus as we begin this season of Lent. So what are some of the ways that we can draw near to God? We can draw near to God through God-ordained godly practices, things like fasting, prayer, study, meditating on Scripture, giving ourselves and our resources more fully to God's work and the work of his kingdom, being more fully and consistently a part of a Christian community, this local church, this community of believers, this community of imperfect people just like you and me. We have opportunities for that this season. I'll be talking next Sunday about the launch of the food pantry in March during Lent. I'll be talking about other opportunities. And there are wonderful things in terms of spiritual disciplines and drawing close to God that our staff has worked to pull together and they're available to you on the church website. There are devotional materials for Lent on the website for adults, for families, for children. There's a link to different um, hymns and worship songs that are geared toward Lent to help us really focus and center ourselves on the Lord. And Tara has put together these wonderful Lenten activity boxes for children and families. And if you haven't gotten one of those yet and you have kids, please, they're big cake boxes out in the, the atrium. Please pick one of those up. There are wonderful tactile hands-on activities for you to do with your children during this season of Lent. But the list could go on and on. 
All of these things we're talking about are spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. Our prayer room will be open. Um, it's, our prayer room is always open. If you don't know the code to that room and you want to use it, please call the church office and we'll give that to you. I don't want to give that over an internet recording. Um, but also on Wednesdays during Lent from 1 to 3, Shelley Lingamfelter is going to be hosting prayer. If, you've not, if you're not familiar with the prayer room or you would like to be able to pray with a small group rather than by yourself, Shelley will be there every Wednesday during Lent from 1 to 3 in the afternoons, socially distanced, and you can pray either in the large room with a small group or in one of the smaller prayer rooms individually. But I would invite you to make that part of your Lenten discipline as we seek the face of the Lord and are conformed more and more to the image of Christ together. All of these things are wonderful disciplines, joyous, freeing practices given by God himself for us. And what's the point of all of this? Again, it's not just jumping through hoops or going through the motions. It's that our hearts and lives are more fully aligned with the heart, the mind, and the will of God. As God works his good work in us, and as we draw closer to God. And the more and more we do this, the more powerfully the presence and grace of God will be at work in our lives as a reality, empowering us to walk in wholehearted, full obedience to him. And as this happens, here's the other beauty of it. As this happens, bit by bit, more and more, the power of temptation loses its hold, loses its grip on us. Why? Let's circle back where we started to finish up because it isn't simply about self-denial or jumping through hoops. All of these things are about God having more of us. God having more of us. About us making more and more room in our lives for the work and the will of God as by his spirit he works in us to strengthen us and mold us and shape us more and more and more into the image of Jesus day by day. Lent is a really good place to start afresh or perhaps by God's grace to step things up. But don't let it end after 40 days. This is not just for 40 days. Instead, may this this renewal and this refreshment and this disciplining of our flesh in the Lord be for the long haul so that God is glorified and so that both individually and all of us together as a family of faith in Christ, we can walk in victorious obedience and all that God wills to accomplish in and through us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this season of Lent for these 40 days, a time to draw close to you, a time to deny the flesh and put the things of the flesh aside, Lord, not just as an exercise in austerity, but to make more and more room for you and your gracious work in our lives so that we can be more and more formed in the people you have created us to be, the people you were calling us to be, So, Lord, I pray that even as we discipline our flesh, that it wouldn't be burdensome, but we would find great joy. We would find great peace, and we would experience your presence and your work in us and then through us in ever greater measure. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.